0: Support for Innovation Hub comes from Mimecast. Nearly 30,000 companies worldwide use Mimecast to help prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, phishing, and impersonation attacks. Mimecast, committed to making emails safer for business. Mimecast.com Support for Innovation Hub comes from the Greken Center for Addiction at Boston Medical Center, making long-term recovery a reality for patients like Cassie, who now supports others struggling with the disease. You can see Cassie's story and learn more at
1: bmcaddiction.org.
0: Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. About 20 years ago, I took a train from Massachusetts to Iowa. I thought it would be romantic. I thought I'd discover America. Turns out my seat was broken. Worst ride of my life. Iowa, though, was amazing. And for someone who had mostly grown up in East Coast suburbia, I felt like I was discovering America. I told my mom that Iowa was so great that we had to go back, and we did. We went to Living History Farms in Urbandale, where you truck through farmland that connects farmhouses from different eras. There's a main street from 1875. It has all sorts of shops on it. We went to Pella, which is a Dutch town in flat farm country. They've got Tulip Queens and Dutch architecture and Dutch pastries. Obviously, we talk a lot about divisions in this country, and those divisions are certainly ideological but they're also geographical, which you know if you've ever seen one of those red and blue election night maps. So why the geographical differences? Does geography itself, farmland, mountains, suburbs, oceans, do they shape us? And do they push us towards who we ultimately become? Robert Kaplan is here to answer those questions. He's the author of the book, Earning the Rockies, How Geography Shapes America's Role in the World. And it took him on a trip, not for the first time, across America. He's also a senior fellow at the Center for a New American Security. Robert, welcome.
1: It's my pleasure to be here.
0: So you write in your book that we used to think of America as kind of this... uh, geographic through line, the the cliché sea to shining sea, but that we don't really anymore. Uh, How do we see it differently, do you think?
1: Um, for most Americans, our airports have become the new bus stations. So people fly everywhere, and they get in a plane, and they fly from the East Coast to the Rocky Mountains, and they think that geography has been defeated. Hmm. Uh, uh, what I found out in multiple trips across America and in a lot of reading is, is that geography still defines us. For instance, did you know that America has more miles of navigable inland waterways than much of the rest of the world combined? I did not. And it's that river (laughs) system. And that river system and how it's laid out uh, uh, across the Midwest is what made America a great power originally in the 19th century. Hmm. And, you know, if you live in Nebraska or Iowa, or Wyoming your attitude towards foreign affairs towards America's role in the world can be very different and there mm. are a lot of reasons for it but one of them is geographical
0: mm. so obviously uh, a lot of the issues that we think the most about as a country that we debate about we, abortion climate change immigration we think of those things as things that exist in our heads right you know how you think about climate change is that's in your head that's not a physical thing Um, but do you think that there are places that people live that actually have these kind of subtle influences in terms of thinking about whether it's foreign policy or domestic policy or whatever it is that like influences how they think about these issues that you could think of as like but these are just ideas these aren't physical things
1: Um, I think what's happened is this It sounds ironic, but just stay with me for a moment. Okay. (laughs) That That globalization, meaning technology, the jet age, cyber connectivity... Um, it has shrunk the earth. Technology has made geography smaller and more claustrophobic, but it has not defeated it. So what happens is that we're swept up into a world maelstrom, a world system, and a part of our population adapts very well to it. And they generally live along the two coasts in the major college towns in some vibrant intercontinental cities. And there's another part of the population, that has been left behind, that for one reason or another has not been swept up into it. So that globalization, rather than make America disappear into the world, has redivided it.
0: Hmm. I actually, I want to read a quote from your book that kind of um, struck me. This is from Earning the Rockies. Uh, so you write about millions of people, and here's a quote, who feel their way of life is being endangered and fear being economically left behind in this new world of slim people on low carb diets with stylish clothes, a world where both skin tone and sexual orientation are not singular but multiple and celebrated for that. So talk about that gap that you perceived and um, and, and you know the implications of it.
1: Yes, I took this journey, my latest journey, in the spring of 2015. So um, at that time, a name like Donald Trump was just meant a real estate developer right, in right. Manhattan, and nothing TV, How about more. a TV star? Right, yeah, um, which I never watched. But uh, you know, in other words, an obscure celebrity on the New York Post. And, and I left the East Coast, and I drove across the Appalachians. And once you get into central Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, and the Ohio River Valley, and all the way to the greater Los Angeles suburbs (laughs) with intermittent islands of college towns like Bloomington, Indiana, and a vibrant state capital like Des Moines, Iowa. (laughs) Away from that, all you saw were shelled-out towns of 20,000 or so where a lot of the storefronts were empty, where there were very few people on the street except for homeless people. Uh, I listened to a lot of conversations. What I did was be an eavesdropper. And Hmm. it was all about financial problems of one sort or another, or medical problems of one sort or another. There was almost no overt discussion of politics. Hmm. So people were not talking about politics, but all of their worries and problems had to do with politics. I saw a nation united by their worries, by people's worries.
0: Just a general dissatisfaction, it sounds like, too.
1: Uh, Yes, yes. An alienation, mm-hmm. because a discussion of politics does not mean alienation. It means you're involved in the process. Um, but when you're not talking about it at all and your life, based on the conversations I overheard, is just awful or dreary or miserable, that's alienation.
0: Have you heard from people uh, saying, like, whoa, maybe you did hear this dissatisfaction, but... My Town's great, and, you know, I I don't know if things are quite as bleak as you're portraying them as.
1: Um, It's interesting, because I've been a travel writer for decades, and I've written books about a lot of parts of the world. You get used to people writing you and saying, I visited that place, and Mm. that's not how I saw it. You know, that's very common, because every view of a place begins inside you. It's very individual. But with this book, I've yet to hear that. I probably will at some point. What I've heard so far is, yes, sadly, that's very much how it looks.
0: Hmm. You know, you talked about um, that things started to be different in some ways when you cross the Appalachians, and um, I wonder why. Like, why are the Appalachians a dividing line? Um, you know, why? Why did you sense it? Sounds like such a different feeling in the middle of the country.
1: Uh, yes, but it's more complex than that. For instance, uh, take Missouri. Um, if you went into, you know, the wealthy suburbs of St. Louis or much of Kansas City, people were part of a globalized world. They hmm. were not alienated. Hmm. They were what you would call liberal. But yet Missouri was carried substantially by the Republicans in the recent election because between the big cities, you entered another America. Hmm. So it's a rural-urban divide. It's a coast-interior divide. It's a college town, not college town divide hmm. And, and and in the center of the country, because of the vast spaces in between towns, remember, this country is really divided between east of the 100th meridian, west of the 100th meridian. The 100th meridian runs down the center of the Dakotas, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. Hmm. East of that, you've got a lot of water. West of that, you're in a semi-desert. And so the towns are less, the highways are less, the railroad tracks or less. And in those places, you know, the outside world, Europe, Asia, does not seem real. It does not seem substantial to you.
0: I'm Karen Miller. you're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm talking with Robert Kaplan, author of the book Earning the Rockies: How Geography Shapes America's Role in the World. Um, when you look at America and you compare it to its counterparts, you've you've been a foreign correspondent. You've uh, thought, spent a lot of your life thinking about actually other countries and and foreign conflicts and that sort of thing. Um, how do you feel like we are different from other countries in terms of how geography has shaped us? We are obviously a lot more isolated than many places. You know, think about a place like Germany. I mean, they're just smack dab in the middle of a ton of countries. Um, and like, how does that play out in our politics?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I get frustrated when, uh, you know, members of the the governing elite and others in the cosmopolitan elite on the East Coast say geography doesn't matter anymore, you know, technology's defeated it. And my response is, you can say that only because America has benefited so much from geography that you're in a position to ignore it. But if you were a Romanian or a Pole or a Taiwanese or places where I visited often, you always hear people say we are victims of our geography, we're prisoners of our geography. And America, you know, in terms of its economic problems, in terms of its social and political problems, is still, I would argue, structurally better off geographically better off economically and politically better off than the problems of the chinese of the russians or of the europeans it's not that we're doing so great but we're not doing quite as badly as these <laughs> other rival powers
0: it, but does it, it does it um i mean you talked about uh, america being disconnected and this has always been i mean obviously world war 1 world war 2 they weren't fought on american soil and that made all the difference cuz for a lot of countries. They were, you know, there were bombs dropped there and so on. Um, Is that bad in a way too, though, because as much as we've talked about refugees and, you know, they are not, pouring over our borders from Syria in the same way uh, or from different countries in the Middle East, you know, uh, as sort of uh, coming out of the Arab Spring, Um, that is not happening to us in the same way that it's happening, let's say, to Europe, right? I mean, Europe is real. You mean, you know, you can close your eyes, but you can't make it go away.
1: Exactly. Americans are a naive people because of their geography. Every rival power, Japan, every place in Europe, Russia, China, had their urban infrastructures, their industrial infrastructures decimated to the ground during World War II, and we were Untouched. Europeans have throngs of refugees pouring in, not just from the war torn Middle East, but from sub Saharan Africa Mm. because Europe is so close to it. It's so proximate. The Chinese are terrified of trying to change the North Korean regime because if there was regime collapse in North Korea, 2 million North Koreans would rush over the Yalu River into northeastern China. Mm. Um, So America can talk just very flippantly about we need a better regime in North Korea because if there was a regime collapse, it would not affect us to the degree that it would affect the Chinese. And also, Americans are upset about the Mexican border, about illegal immigration. This is nothing whatsoever Mm. compared to what the Europeans and others have to deal with or are worried about.
0: If you think ahead to, uh, you know, a road trip that that would occur in 20 years from now, um, are, are there hints from what you've seen of what's coming?
1: The very limitation of water will make it impossible for, say, Nebraska, Wyoming, Utah to suddenly be all urbanized. That's never going to happen. One of the facts in my book is while Iowa is 100 percent arable, in other words, you could grow crops anywhere Hmm. there, Utah is only 3 percent arable. In other words, outside of 3 percent of Utah, you'd need a major irrigation system to grow anything. Hmm. So the, the lack of water puts a Limit on development. Um, so I think we're going to see. If I were to do this trip in 20 years, I would see even a greater New York City or a greater Washington. You know, develop into real city states, so to speak, where New York City would exist between Albany in the north all the way to Central New Jersey in the south. Huh. That I can imagine. It, it keeps pushing
0: of, out of like yeah, where it, New, quote unquote New York is.
1: Right. Exactly. But I. We be very surprised if there were that much more people in the water-starved parts of the West or in the Rocky Mountain West.
0: Robert Kaplan is the author of the book, Earning the Rockies, How Geography Shapes America's Role in the World. He's also a senior fellow at the Center for a New American Security. Robert, thank you so much. This is great.
1: It's been my pleasure.
0: I know nothing about inland waterways, but if you want to check out how water shapes and divides us, we've got a great candy-colored picture of U.S. river basins. It's at our Facebook page, facebook.com/innovationhubradio. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through ConnectInvest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com slash CSB1.